Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to the show and welcome to another episode, an episode where I get to introduce and interview and speak with another incredible leader from around the world. This show is all about interviewing those leaders who understand the power and the importance of having emotional intelligence and human-centered leadership at the very heart of their leadership style. Today I'm interviewing uh, Roger Cutsforth. Roger Cutsforth uh, has been around uh, a while, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the area of leadership in a specific industry. We're going to talk about that in a short while. But I have to say that... Uh, well, pretty uh, pretty early on when we started this uh, this this series, uh, my producer contacted me and he says, "You have got to interview Roger Cutsworth." So it's taken us months to get to this position. I'm so pleased to have you here. So Roger's been in the he's had a very varied life. He's been in the RAF for five years. He was an air traffic controller. I mean, how excited that must that be? Uh, but thereafter, he's been largely involved in radio and in advertising. Um, he has uh, been in the broadcast industry for many, many years now uh, at very senior levels across the broadcast industry, across the um, the advertising industry. He's had his own uh, ad agency uh, where it's all about helping organizations to um, introduce authentic language in their advertising. You know how we sometimes see adverts and you see this advertising speak very often you see leaders speaking and leadership speak. Well, Roger tries to cut through that to the authentic nature of the message that you're trying to get across. He's been the CEO of Radio Academy, which is, he describes it a bit like the BAFTAs, but it's for radio. So that's uh, something that we want to explore in this conversation as well. Roger, thank you for being here. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Pleasure. And I'm humbled and uh, privileged to join you today. Thank you. Well, Roger, it's taken us uh, a long while to to get you here, and I've just read through all the things that you've done. I really don't know where to start with half of this. <laughs> but listen, the advertising world, um, there must be, because of the nature of what advertising is all about, I think there must be a challenge of how to get the get the authenticity out, both in language and the messaging. Um, how do you cut through that? Because advertising by its very nature is about showcasing, isn't it? It is. Um, and far too often uh, when you're speaking with clients, with advertisers, they are focused on their business um, and how they want that to sound and what they what, what it is they, they see as their strengths and uh, to be able to convey what their compelling proposition is to consumers. Yeah. Often, though, you, you really need to put yourself uh, as an advertiser in the shoe of the consumer. 
uh, and understand what they're looking for, how they like to be spoken to, um, what it is uh, potentially about your business and about your product or service that is, is compelling to them not what what you want your message to be yes there are objectives that you're trying to achieve but yet you have to look at it from the consumer's point of view and and that's very difficult yeah i mean i guess what you're saying is if i were to advertise my business i there's something within me that says i want to be seen to be this person and come across like this but actually my consumers my potential clients might want to see something completely different how do you convince the your clients, i.e. The, the people that want to do the advertising, that they have to see it from a different perspective? I try and talk them through the process and, uh, and understanding why we need to do this, what it is, that uh, whether that's through insight and uh, data and intelligence that we understand, but take them through that process. Often it's very difficult, and I spend a lot of time working with uh, SMEs. And, uh, and and you'll know from uh, your experience that there's a certain kind of uh, mentality with a lot of entrepreneurs uh, that want to be able to do things their way. <laughs> um, and their passion and their, dare I say, ego is something that's difficult to keep in check at times because they're so passionate about what they do and how they want to be perceived and how they talk about it that they're just fixated on how do I get my message across as, a, as opposed to how is this going to be perceived and will this work? And it's difficult because um, dealing with people like that, I suppose that goes back to how do you deal with people in normal everyday life, in leadership, in, in, in business, etc. And, and it's trying to take them through that journey and explain it in a, in a logical way. It doesn't always work. Um, and ultimately, sometimes they'll say, well, it's my money and this is what I want to do. And you can only give the best advice. And I think you've just touched upon something there, Roger, that we're living in this incredibly changing world, aren't we? That uh, there's more entrepreneurs now than there have ever been. Um, and I think because of social media, there's almost like this, if you want to be an entrepreneur, there's, there's a message that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be like this. And there's a lot of influencers out there that are creating these homogenous kind of entrepreneurs with a certain kind of speak, a certain kind of coming across. Uh, and almost this fake it until you make it kind of, you know, philosophy that goes about. So I think what we tend to lose from within that is the authenticity. And as you say, the ego then starts creeping in and you forget to look at it from another person's perspective, i.e. your potential client where the money's going to come in from. So that for you, in that changing world, because you'll have lived in a, a different world before social media and all of this uh, had such a level of influence, it must be so difficult for you, so challenging for you to, to be able to bring these entrepreneurs, these clients of yours across to, to understanding what it is that they need to be doing. It is, and um, somehow, depending on what media you're using, you know, majority of my work is in is in audio, whether that be in podcast advertising, radio advertising, through streaming platforms, or whatever. Yeah, and so it's it's a spoken word, so it's very linear uh, in how we're trying to engage with people. And 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 the first thing, as an example, is uh, when people are listening to a radio show, to your podcast, whatever they're normally doing something else. Mm. And so you have to understand the context of where uh, that listener is 
and what they are doing, potentially doing with their time. So how, how are you? They're, they're listening to, to your podcast call because of what you and your, your guests want to say. They don't necessarily want to be interrupted by some commercial. Yeah. That, that's an intrusion. So for an advertiser to be able to intrude on someone's uh, listening experience whilst they are doing something else and have a conversation with that person that then tries to engage them with their business, their product, and uh, to buy what they sell. Um, you, have to, you have to be aware of all of those different elements in play. That's fascinating. It really is fascinating. It's like getting into the mind of people that you don't know, but it must be a real skill of yours. And I think you've already touched upon how and where this skill comes from. Uh, you know, you talked about leadership. You know, in this world of advertising and radio that you've been involved in, which is not like a real-world scenario, it's it's like a different alternative universe that you existed in. How? What was leadership like, largely speaking, in that industry for you? I'm a big football fan and, uh, and, and played a little bit in the past. And... I've heard so many people that have gone into football management, former players that have gone into football management say they've taken little bits from people they've uh, worked under or been managed by before, some of the good, some of the bad, and tried to use that. And uh, and football's quite a, a useful analogy because in the world of media and advertising... Ego is huge, <laughs> whether that be on the on-air side or uh, in the advertising and sales side. You know, you think some some of the best salespeople have uh, huge egos, uh, which kind of is one of the strengths that makes them so good. Yeah, and the same with uh, on-air personalities. Again, some some of those have huge egos. So being able to talk to them in a way which has been uh, respectful, but assertive and helping and encouraging and inspiring. It's probably, it, I learned it. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't on my hand on heart say this happened or this happened uh, or I read this book. Uh, I, I'm not someone that went to university. Um, so I'm not... Um, I've not learned that way. It's been purely through how to deal with people. And I think in sales, because you deal with so many different people, and ultimately it's a conversation. When you have a conversation with a prospect and then you're taking them on a journey to hopefully for them to uh, to buy you and your product, you, you learn how to take that people to, to your way of thinking. And, and I think that kind of, helped me i wasn't the best salesperson by any way but the the psychology of it all fascinated me and i'm quite competitive so for me it was how do i take this person who at the minute is anti everything i say and bring them on the journey that that can see it and 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 we can come to some sort of agreement on and i I just enjoyed that process and then brought that into uh, to leadership and dealing with people internally too. So let's talk about your leadership journey. And, uh, you know, Pete, when he first spoke to me, uh, you know, uh, really put you on this pedestal when it comes to leadership. What was your, if we could talk about your philosophy as a leader, what would you say would be your key philosophies? Ultimately, for me, it was all based on 
uh, honesty and being very open and transparent uh, with the people. And I developed a bit of a reputation of, of uh, within the industry I was going in, of going into businesses that were struggling and, and, and helping them to uh, turn them around. For me, I don't think I turned them around and we had some su successful ones, which, which was really great. And I really enjoyed that thing of, of kind of taking a business that was struggling and broken and, 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 and making it... Um, and re-energizing it. Yeah, and, and, and it was all for me around the people. Whenever I've been into those businesses, it was fundamentally... We are our, our people business, whether we're in advertising, radio, whatever it is, it's about the people. Absolutely. If you can get the people engaged, they will take the business to where it's I didn't turn those businesses around. Those people did. Pete and his colleagues and all those, that they did that. What, what I did was sometimes hold a mirror up uh, and uh, talk about how good they could be. And there are obviously difficult decisions to make in, in those situations as well. But it was always about being honest. And when I, when I was honest with people and open with people, they bought into that. It's amazing how many people I interview on this uh, on this program where clearly they, uh, for them, emotional intelligence and connecting with people and building relationships and communicating with uh, transparency, honesty and building trust is so important. And yet they all end up then saying, and do you know what? I was always the person... Uh, that was asked to go into a department that was failing to fix that department to go into, and you've just said to go into, into businesses that are struggling to help rejuvenate and rebuild those businesses. And, and the same for me, you know, in, in, in the police service, uh, I was often uh, moved around. I was probably the most moved around senior leader in, in the service uh, and put into brand new departments or departments that were struggling. So it's almost like, those powers that be understand that you get the job done. But did you ever have a situation where some one of your senior leaders pointed out to you that maybe you were too soft or uh, you didn't fit the the, the, the the model of the the other peers that you might have had in that industry? Yeah, um, <laughs> more more often than not, to be honest, I think <laughs> I, I, I think there was this. Uh, and, and there still is where um, they would want those. I don't like the expression, but I can't think of a better one at this moment in time for someone that's supposed to be decent with words. But anyway, those soft skills uh, to be able to uh, nurture and bring people along. And then once that kind of job was done and the business was uh, succeeding again, then they wanted someone different. Uh, to come in and then uh, for for that for whatever strange reason to be able to be different that that kind of aggressive um, uh, leadership driving the business forward and I don't get this I, I and I know exactly what you mean because so you go in and you put people at the very heart of everything and you you completely understand as you've said yourself that once you energize the people once you give the people the aspirational sort of vision on the inspiration to to do better and they make it better then they bring in another leader that almost takes it back yeah. because they're hierarchical they're commanding all the things that you're not yeah and that doesn't make much sense to me to be to be quite frank it, it, it doesn't to me and i can't understand where 
where the thinking is because if you, you you're building something that is is working and is successful and people are happy and moving forward why would you want not want that to continue it's bizarre what would you say were like the biggest leadership challenges in the radio industry for example the radio industry went through an awful lot of consolidation um, so if you look at the the sector today from a commercial radio public service with the BBC is one thing but in, in, in commercial radio there are now in the UK largely two groups that own 90% if not more of it so they're all uh, when I started um, there were so many different smaller groups. Um, the number of stations has grown, but the ownership of those stations has shrunk down to two. That's fascinating. I had no idea. I knew there was more radio stations than we've had before, but I didn't realise that we'd actually, you know, brought it down to two key groups. Two key groups um, who are competing against each other. The biggest challenge uh, for that has been that as those acquisitions and that consolidation went through the industry, there are, as understandably, quite a lot of objections. So two of the biggest ones that I'd been uh, involved with uh, were, were um, Global Radio and uh, with Bauer, who were uh, the two operators. At various stages with them, they acquired businesses that were then subject to monopolies and mergers commissions uh, investigations. Um, and indeed, when I was working with, uh, with Pete, your producer, uh, we were in the middle of one of those investigations anyway. So the businesses uh, had to operate separately, uh, even though they were owned by the same group. Um, and those, I, th I think the first one investigation was two years. Uh, and the second one at Bauer was about 18 months. So you have people in the business at that time that are, have been taken over, they're working in a situation where they don't know if they're going to have a job at the end of that investigation period. And so the biggest challenge has been how do you turn a business around that's struggling? How do you uh, motivate and inspire a, a team of people who frankly are thinking, I don't know if I'll have a job. For them, when it's an industry like radio, particularly where you... Um, it's, it's all show and go, then um, that inspiration, that uh, enthusiasm, that desire, that passion needs to come across to be successful. So trying to get them to do that in, in a very challenging economic climate was difficult. And know of the kind of scenarios that you're talking about. And, you know, some of my greatest leadership challenges when it comes to people, what were those periods where people didn't know they'd got a job? I remember, you know, when... We had the financial crisis in 2008 and I was taking over uh, departments where I was being told, well, you need to cut a million pounds out of your budget. And the only way that you're really going to do that in public services, you'll have a bit of sort of efficiency savings by streamlining processes. But largely it's going to be through people because that's 80 percent of your budget. And I remember having a lot of sleepless nights as to how I was going to do that, because some of these people I'd worked for 20 years plus with and. How do, you, how do you motivate people? How do you keep people on track? How do you continue to perform in that environment? What were, your, what were the things that you did to keep people on track? I myself focused, because I, 
I was the same, really, in, in, in a lot of situations. I didn't know what my future would be would, uh, in any of these uh, at the end of it, which was, and the focus was, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, uh, et cetera, but you can only control what you can control. True. Um, and therefore, whatever's going to happen, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow or two months. So actually, the fact that you're in a a period where at the end of it, you could lose your job or the business could change uh, so dramatically that it's not something for you in the more, uh, anymore. That's a way down the track and none of us can predict the future anyway. So, you, you, you know, okay, so potentially we know that's coming. In the meantime, we're lucky to be in an industry which was, is, you know, it's not like a proper job sometimes. It, it, it's great fun. Um, and so it's about... Well, let's do some great things while we're working together let's do some great things and get enjoyment out what we're doing and whatever happens tomorrow happens tomorrow but let's just let's just make today a great experience yeah i i remember once when um, i was a young inspector and i was asked to take over this police station uh, but before i got there they said well you need to know that this police station is closing down um in the next six months so your job really is to make sure that they still continue to provide the service that they need to provide to their local community. But also, we want you to start closing it down. We want need you to start shutting it down. And I was like, how on earth do you do this? And I remember walking into this police station, Roger, and uh, it had been around for a long time. It was one of the nicer police stations in a nicer area. Uh, and people that worked there tended to have worked there for 20 years. You know, they'd been there a long time. Everybody, bar none, was fed up. Their heads were bowed and, you know, everyone was just walking around with this dark energy over them. I remember thinking, thinking to myself, how on earth do I turn this around? But you were right. I sat down with them and said, hey, listen, we can't control everything. But what we can control is what we choose to do. And at the end of the night, at the end of the day, we need to be able to sleep at night knowing that we've done a good job for our communities. Uh, and based on that simple message, we were able to galvanize as a group. And we almost got this sort of uh, solidarity mindset that, right, we're going to be the best performing police, police station in the next three months, just, just to show them that they, they've got this decision wrong, you know. Uh, and, and that really inspired. And it was like... It was a great place to work for those six months because everybody felt that they were part of something special. And I guess that's something that you, you might have uh, done. Absolutely. And I think it was, I mean, ironically, two of those businesses I was work, working at the time that, that I'm talking about were multi-award winning businesses during that period. They haven't been before or since. But during that period of real uncertainty around their futures was when they produced some of their best work. I think uh, some organisations get it so wrong in so many ways. I, I remember in the police service when we were going through all of these like incredible uh, measures of uh, you know making savings and. Uh, uh, and for several years, we had these uh, sliding scales of economy savings and people losing their jobs and people were being made redundant, all of this kind of stuff. We were closing down canteens to make a bit, bit more savings. We were reducing the quality of the coffee in the coffee machine so it didn't taste very nice at all. All of these little measures, these little simple things 
were chipping away, I thought, at the morale of the people. They might have saved a, a few hundred pounds there, or maybe even a thousand pounds or so over there. But actually, the, the damage that it was creating in terms of the psyche of the people was incredible. And at the same time, we were investing more and more in, in the, the discipline department. You know, it was called the professional standards department. We were investing more in the professional standards department because uh, we wanted to protect the organization from, you know, uh, from corruption, etc. But I just felt that maybe we were putting too much effort into that People were looking over their left shoulder, seeing if they've still got a job, and over their right shoulder to see if they were being, you know, investigated for some innocent mistake that they might have made way back when. And it just led to this incredible culture for a couple of years, just before I left, this incredible culture where people, I, I, I would literally see people walking around headquarters with their heads bowed down and not talking to each other. Whereas only a few years before that, everybody used to talk uh, you know, they'd meet up in the canteen, they'd be talking in the corridors, but less and less of that was happening uh, just before I left. So I felt that to be very sad. And, and I don't think that was necessary. No, and picking up on something you said there as well, which was, which is so important, and, and ultimately why I kind of left working for the radio groups and, uh, and, and changed my career path, was that people stopped talking. Mm. And, and we're in a... We're in a business of talking, uh, for either on air, uh, talking to our listeners, or in advertising, talking to the consumer. It, it's all about talking. People stop talking. And, you know, there are some great uh, software initiatives, CRM systems that come into play. But now, um, those CRM systems, those internal processes have become like internal policemen, if you like, on, on, on people within the bit. So people don't feel they can breathe and they don't talk anymore. And I got to the point where I felt I was just looking at a computer screen and looking at, um, at spreadsheets and dashboards of people's performances. And with remote working, that was exacerbated even further, is that you were struggling to have conversations with one another where you could sit down for a coffee or just pop and see someone in the office or arrange to meet them at somewhere and just have a chat on a human level. How are you? What's the, and, and that has gone uh, in, in a lot of those situations. And that, that's, that's a root cause of a lot of problems from my perspective. It feeds into uh, Roger, I think it feeds into something that uh, I've done quite a bit of research on. There's a, there's a chap out there called Dr. Carl Albrecht. And he talks about the, the, the fears that we have as, as a human race. And he says, look, there's five supreme fears that we all have. We all have a fear of uh, uh, dying, a fear of extinction, he calls it, a fear of being hurt. We have a fear of loss of autonomy, i.e. loss of freedom. We have a fear of uh, being rejected by other people. We have a fear of uh, uh, our he ego being hurt. And you've already mentioned the ego. And I think this one that we're talking about here feeds into that fear of loss of autonomy, where you lose control over how you can how you can conduct yourself in the workplace, how you can carry out the work, how, how you develop the relationships. The moment you get micromanaging in place, the moment you create a culture whereby everyone feels that they're under scrutiny or being investigated or that they might lose their job through redundancy, um, we have to understand that that is feeding into this loss of freedom. People feel that they are no longer in control, control over their day-to-day -day activities or even their destiny. 
When that starts happening, there should be another trigger going off in our minds as uh, leaders to say, how do we counteract this? If we have got, to, if this is beyond our control, i.e., uh, some kind of uh, enforced uh, efficiency saving that we have to make, um, how do we counteract that? How do we create, knowing that that this is the impact it's going to have on the culture? What else can we do to keep our people buoyant, to keep our people focused, to keep our people productive and as happy as they can be? And I genuinely believe that you can create this sense of freedom. Again, where people, you create the parameters, you say, look, these are the parameters. We're stuck in those parameters. Can't do anything about that. But within that, we're going to give you professional judgment. We're going to give you freedom to do uh, do it the best way that you think that we can we can do it. Yeah, and I, again, I think it, when that comes to me back to uh, honesty and being open with people. So it, one of the, an, ex, an expression, another expression that I hate and, and people come on uh, and it's, trotted out by businesses and head offices and uh, uh, which is business as usual well it isn't mm. <laughs> not by no means and so i i would no I, I that's not something i could stand up in front of a, a group of people and say listen guys when all this is going on it's business as usual let's just crack on that that, that just doesn't wash for me and it's not something that i ever felt comfortable uh, being able to say so for me, it was all this business as unusual because these are unusual circumstances. We're not in control of the situation. But hey, this is where we are. This is the situation that we're in. So how do we make the best of it? Um, and uh, again, what will be, will be. So trying to trying to just uh, smoke screen it and say it's business as usual is folly from my point of view. And that nicely takes us back to where we started. You know, one of the key facets of leadership is honesty and transparency. Yeah. And when you talk to people in that open and honest uh, way and explain the, you know, the elephant in the room more often than not, um, what you'll actually do is you'll have a higher chance of increasing trust. And when you have trust in an organization or in a team where everybody trusts each other, you'll find that they galvanize more together and they'll go off and they'll do the very best under whichever circumstances they may have. Absolutely. Roger, it's been a huge pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, I've loved the insights into uh, the world of advertising and how you have to develop relationships to to overcome people's egos, <laughs> to get them to think and understand exactly what they need. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers, Cole. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.